Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, Work Party listeners. Money talks and so do we. We're talking to the best and brightest minds in finance for a special five-part Work Party Money Move series. Whether you want to learn about building generational wealth, strengthen your financial future as an entrepreneur, or perfect your pitch, our experts have you covered. New episodes go live every Friday, so be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcast and you'll never miss an episode again. Hey everyone, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, the founder and CEO of Create and Cultivate, and this is Work Party, a podcast for a new generation of women who are ditching the rulebook and redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we bring in leading female entrepreneurs for real talk advice on the topics that matter most to the modern career woman, from hiring to mentorship to raising money and so much more. Whether you're pivoting to a new industry, negotiating a raise, turning your side hustle into a full-time gig, or pitching your company to investors, we're giving you the tips and tricks you need to take your career to the next level. Ready to make some money moves? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. If you're a business owner or entrepreneur who wants to start being intentional with your time and money, now is the time to start thinking about generational wealth. At the end of it all, you can get to create something larger than yourself that leaves a legacy behind for future generations, whether that be in your lifetime or beyond. Are you ready, but not sure how to get started? Well, I have Nicole Lappin here. She's the best-selling author and podcast host and is the only finance expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. She disrupted the traditionally male-dominated and boring finance space by offering actionable advice. And today we're covering how you can begin building and preserving your generational wealth. Nicole got her start in the business world at age 18, reporting for First Business Network, and went on to become the youngest anchor ever at CNN and CNBC. She's contributed financial reports to MSNBC, Today, Entertainment Tonight, just to name a few. She's also a New York Times bestselling author of Rich Bitch. Needless to say, she has a lot of knowledge to share, so let's dive right in. Nicole, welcome to Work Party. It's so good to see you. I wish we were IRL, not just URL, but this will do. Such is life. I know. It's so good to see you. I've been watching your trajectory and you're just continually crushing it day in and day out. So I'm so excited to see your brain. Thank you. (laughs) So you got your start in the business world at just 18 years old as the correspondent for First Business Network. You then went on to become the youngest anchor at CNN, CNBC. So impressive. But 
When were you first interested in taking all this information knowledge you had and transitioning into a career in finance? And how did you get to where you are today? I hated finance growing up. So I grew up in an immigrant family, as you know, uh, first generation American, never had the Wall Street Journal around the kitchen counter, never talked about stocks or bonds. And I had a boyfriend in high school who said he wanted to be a hedge fund manager. I thought the dude wanted to be in gardening. Needless to say, Jacqueline, I was the least likely person to talk about finances, get my own finances together, much less teach other people about it. So truly, if I could do it, anyone could do it. I lived paycheck to paycheck for so much of my young adult life, ate brown rice and beans because it felt fancier than ramen, had a boatload of debt. So I just figured out in the school of hard knocks how to get out from under that. And we don't learn this stuff in school. So when I was 18, I needed a job and I actually didn't want that job at first business. I wanted a different one at at the CBS station in Milwaukee. But long story short, they didn't give me that job. And they asked me if I knew anything about business news. And I lied and (laughs) said I did because I needed a job. And I realized that money is just a language like anything else. We just don't have a Rosetta Stone for that language growing up. So I figured out harder things in life and I learned the language. Not only did I learn it, but I was able to speak it to the world and fast forward a couple decades later. And now I can teach other women about it. I Love that so much. I love that you talk about, you know, you weren't raised in a financial household that talked about money, dying over the hedge fund comment. Cause I remember the first time I heard someone say a hedge fund, I for sure thought the exact same thing. (laughs) So a lot of how we think about money and wealth stems from our personal experiences and how our parents were with money growing up. So what conversations, if any, did you have with your parents about money and wealth growing up? And then, you know, as you sort of got into this financial space, how did your relationship with money evolve? It's such a good question because I think we all have financial traumas, whether micro or macro. So I grew up in a super broken home, a chronically abusive and chaotic upbringing where my father died of a drug overdose when I was 11. In my last book, Miss Independent, I talk about bailing out my mother from jail, using cash from under the sink, by the maxi pads. And so I had this really uh, tumultuous relationship with money growing up. And I had to finally confront what those traumas were. And whether you look at this and say, hey, I mean, I didn't have to bail my parents out of jail. That wasn't that serious for me. But if your parents hoarded or clipped coupons or spent frivolously, that impacts you. From a macro sense, if you lived through the dot-com bust, if you lived through the housing crisis, that impacts you. Your friend circle impacts you, how they spend, whether they're in debt, whether they hide purchases from their significant other or whatever. And so you have to take control of your own money story and realize just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean that's the way it needs to be. I love those specific examples because I think sometimes people talk about financial traumas and everyone's like, nothing crazy happened to me. I have debt. I have a little of this, I have a little of that. But it's so true. The relationship with money is these sort of like um, micro, micro and macro experiences, as you said. I always joke like, with my parents, you know, if I opened a mini bar or had something out of a mini bar in a hotel, it was like the end of the world. It was like, how could you, you know? So it's like having those little experiences and still to this day, I I get a little PTSD if I like get something out of the mini bar, but that's neither here nor there. So let's get into generational wealth. So first and foremost, what is it and why is it important? So generational wealth basically describes the difference between the amount of wealth accumulated in one generation relative to the wealth in another generation. Are you an elder millennial like I am? 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I just always think of Eliza Schlesinger's show. I love it. Gather around the Snapchat. So wealth is defined as savings, investments, other assets like real estate. And millennials like us are the least wealthy generation, despite the fact that we actually represent the largest group in the workforce. Uh, Boomers are 10 times wealthier than millennials. Part of that is to be expected. So if you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, okay, but boomers are farther along in their career, so duh. Well, yes, and Economists are looking at this gap and saying this is a big deal because the data from previous generations show that gaps shouldn't be this large. And it's happening for a few reasons. First, you know, millennials, we were hit hard by the Great Recession and then the fallout bleed into this affordability crisis. So basically, millennials are slow out of the gate. We continue to struggle with student loan debt, increased cost of living, inflation. So to put it into perspective, millennials hold less than 5% of the wealth in America and boomers hold nearly 55% of the wealth. Wow. I mean, that's staggering. And like now you even look to Gen Z and you, I can't even imagine what they're going through having now the pandemic and even, again, inflation, as you mentioned, and the housing, it's a whole crazy thing. So that feels really scary, right? All those numbers are very scary. How can millennials, elder millennials, younger millennials take control of their finances and start to bridge the generational wealth gap? So it's such a stark generational wealth gap we're dealing with right now. It shows us really how important it is to share wealth from generation to generation. So as boomers head into retirement, they should really think about how they can support younger generations. So the transfer of wealth, Jacqueline, through uh, proper multi-generational wealth and estate planning, which sounds really fancy because that will provide a significant amount of relief to millennials as a whole. But when you hear estate planning, you might think this is for fancy rich people. It's not. Everyone should have an estate plan, not just boomers. And it's never too late or too early to create one. So even if you don't have a lot of money or if you don't have kids, you still need a plan. And this is never funsies to think about, but it's so important. What type of medical care do you want in the future? You know, what are your final wishes? Where do you want your belongings to go to? It's more than just a will or a trust that you need, but you need all sorts of adult stuff, living will, power of attorney, guardian for your kids, or if you don't have kids, pets. So if you don't have this, think about it, your property Every bank account you have, a retirement policy, anything goes through this long, lengthy, annoying process called probate. And without any paperwork from you or guidance, the state gets to dictate where all of your things go. And I don't know about you, but I'm not down for the state to decide. I want control. Totally. And I've seen this happen to a few people, either to their grandparents or whatever it might be, where it, or even their parents, where it was a freak accident and everything is tied up in the legal situations by the government. And you're like, wait, what? How did this even happen? So uh, totally aligned that you can definitely um, start small. Like you don't need to be, as to your point, super wealthy to get there. So one important step towards closing the generational wealth gap is closing the confidence gap for women around money, which is something that you are an expert at. So what are the keys to developing confidence? confidence around money. I think the number one thing is learning the language, realizing that if you go to Japan and you don't speak Japanese, you will be really confused. If you go to Wall Street and you don't speak the language of money, you'll be really confused until, of course, you speak the language and then you realize, oh, it's not as complicated as it once 
sounded. And I think this is the barrier to entry for a lot of people, especially women, thinking that this is somehow above their heads, that all of this sounds like gobbledygook and jargon. And I can tell you that once you can speak the language, you are empowered to join the conversation and not only get your financial life together, but continue to grow your own wealth, which is so important, not only generationally, but so that you're at least keeping pace with inflation. Make your money work for you. We work so hard for our money. In my opinion, it's time to return the favor. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're talking about the language of finance. What resources should women be looking to to start learning that language? Like, where do you see the best information that is digestible, approachable, but can also get you that information you need to start speaking that? Well, there's so many resources. My four books and show is one option. There's all sorts of articles and publications and other books. And there is not a lack of knowledge out there. Here's the thing. Knowledge isn't power. Action is power. I'm not going to help you change your life. I'm going to be there watching like the mom on the side of the stage uh, in Mean Girls with the camcorder for sure. But you have to take the action. So whether you read all the books or not, cool, as long as you take action. I'm glad I didn't invest earlier, said no one ever. That's actually on my mug right now. So I think that if you never regret a workout, you never regret investing earlier. And sometimes we suffer more in imagination than in reality. So we think this stuff is way harder than it actually is once you dig into it and stop avoiding it. When women-owned small businesses thrive, we all thrive. Learn more about the tools and resources MasterCard is offering from moving your biz online to best practices on digital security at mastercard.com slash small biz. Together, let's start something priceless. Now, like we, we have this information, we have the language, we're learning about it. Let's touch base on financial planning. If you don't assess your current money situation, then you won't be able to make those long-term goals or develop strategies to achieve them and start saving. So what does successful financial planning look like today? I break it down into the three Fs, finance, family, and fun. And then I break those goals down into one, three, five, seven, 10-year increments, because I used to have a lot of anxiety when People would say, what do you want to do in 10 years or five years? And so I like to break everything down into baby steps. Anything overwhelming feels less so when you break it down into steps and then those steps into little baby steps. And so goals have price tags. The thing that bothers me most is when people say, yeah, I just want a million dollars. That's my goal. Cool. What do you want to do with that million dollars? I don't know. Maybe you need more than a million dollars. Maybe you need less than a million dollars. First, figure out the life you want and then reverse engineer to figure out how to get the money to live that life. I love that. That's such a good um, example because you're so right. Like everyone's just like, I want to be a millionaire. And it's like, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? What does that take to get there? And so financial planning, what does it look like? Can you share some examples? Yeah. yeah of some, for someone who might just be starting out. So think of a financial planner like you would a personal trainer. You know, you could go every day to a personal trainer or you could go once and get the moves and then do it on your own at the gym. When you're looking into financial planning, it's really important, Jacqueline, to find a fiduciary. Not all financial people are created equal. So if you think of a fiduciary like you would a stylist, a stylist is working for you. You're paying them a flat fee versus the people at the department store who are working on commission. So even more so for entrepreneurs, because they are their business, it is 
even more crucial to start financial planning yesterday if you haven't already. And oftentimes within the finance world or in the business world, there is the most shame around this because as the old adage says, you know, the shoemaker walks barefoot. So a lot of people within the financial community or in the business community don't have their financial shiz together and they're embarrassed by that. So, you know, look, you would never put your entire financial world or investments into one stock. And so while it's really admirable, you talk about this all the time for investors to keep putting money back in their business. They can't do that. You have to have other investments. You need to pay yourself first. And as you know, depending on the structure, if you have a sole proprietorship, you know, take an owner's draw. If you have a partnership, take a draw or a guarantee payment. If you have an S corp or a C corp and you've grown your business already, take a salary, pay yourself with a bonus or a dividend. You have to pay yourself. You have to put your oxygen mask on first and really get your own personal board of directors. So you might have a board of directors or a board of advisors for your business. So look at your personal life as a little business. You need a business lawyer, a planner, a tax advisor, estate planning like we just talked about. Oftentimes owners lack liquidity, so they're hostage to their business cycle. And that creates a lot more problems if they don't have a plan in place. Yes, that is so true and so, so, so important. It's it's challenging enough to run a business and then being in the position where you're sort of, to your point, in a prison of your own making, it can be really challenging. So let's talk about equity a little bit. So another way to expand women's capacity to build wealth is through business equity. A recent study found women represent 13% of startup founders, but just 7% of founder equity. And women can make up 34% of startup employees, but just hold 20% of startup employee equity. So can you explain why building wealth through business equity is so powerful from the founder side and the employee side? Yeah, this has been called, right, the gap table, like cap table or the cap table gap. It's important to be an owner in general in the financial system versus a customer. You know, with compound interest, we have so often been a customer of it by credit card debt or mortgages. You can use that in your favor through investing. And you can do the same thing if you are in business for yourself. It's even more important because wealth from successful exits go on to have this intrinsic effect on business in general, right? Founding members who make a lot of money from their company go on to be angel investors or fund LPs, and then they get to decide who gets funded in the future, right? So it's this systemic issue. And that needs to change in order to break this cycle of men earning more equity. I think I saw it was like 40 cents on the dollar of founder equity that men have compared to women. So look, you remember, you don't need an MBA. I didn't get an MBA. You don't need to know math to go after equity and negotiate it just like you would anything else. Yeah, I love that. That's so so, so important. And asking up front, you know, to your point where you can really create that conversation around demanding more equity in your, and then using that as a negotiation, maybe they don't have cash, but you can get more equity. So I love that. Okay. Let's talk about investing. So women don't invest as much money of their money as men do. And because historically wealth compounds, women are just behind falling behind in investments or falling behind in making even more money. And as an angel investor, I'd love to hear your thoughts. What can women do to bridge this investment gap and take control of their financial futures? I think the first thing is to quiet the mean girl inside your head. We all have a whole bunch of stories we tell ourselves. Some of my former greatest hits were, you don't know math. 
or you don't have enough money to start, or you're too old. I mean, these are all stories we tell ourselves. The truth is a fifth grader can do the math if that's required to start investing. And you don't need a lot of money to make a lot of money. What you do need is time. You need the most amount of time possible. And as far as I'm concerned, today is as good a day as any. I totally agree. And I love that so much. So you were just released your book, Miss Independent, a simple 12-step plan to start investing and grow your own wealth. Tell us all about this book. How is this book a launching point for women ready to build their wealth? So it's basically Rich Bitch Part 2, which was my first book. And Rich Bitch helps you get your basic financial life together. So budgeting and saving. The truth is budgeting and saving is not going to grow you wealth. And even your base salary, as high as that gets, is not going to grow long-term wealth. The only thing that will is investing and utilizing this amazing force of compound interest where literally your money is making money for you while you are doing nothing, while you are sleeping. So the steps that I have are broken down by investing least risky to most risky assets. And whatever will let you sleep at night, start there. And then you can always refer back to it as your financial life grows, as new terms become more relevant, different vehicles you want to explore. I have a dictionary in the back that you don't need a dictionary to understand. I rewrite financial dictionaries in my books. This is maybe why I was single for so long, just <laughs> like what I do on a Friday night. But yeah, you can keep it as a resource as your financial life changes. And I love that. And and what do you hope people, particularly this next wave of female entrepreneurs, female business owners take away from the book? That you need to have your own back no matter what, to leave a bad work situation, to leave a bad relationship. I've received far too many notes of women staying in abusive relationships because they're too scared to have their own financial back. So this is not that complicated. And I know that there is a lot of guilt and shame around this, but looking into being misindependent is ultimately having your own back, coming up with your number, your retirement number, whatever you need, because otherwise you just think that it's some amorphous thing you'll never get, you know, and just learn the ins and outs of buying a house, making big investment decisions, investment properties, life insurance. And I think it's just important to start Now, stocks, bonds are basic investment vehicles, but you can also get fancy REITs, crypto, girl, it's time. I know. I got to take you out for a drink and we got to talk all about crypto. So let's go into advice. So where is the most important area for us to focus financial energy right now and why? I think investing in the market. You never regret investing earlier. You never regret a workout. It's really hard for me to get my ass on the treadmill, but after I do, I'm so happy I did. Same thing goes for investing. And if you want to get into crypto, there's a lot of buzz around it right now. I say limit that to 1% of your net worth. So anyone has a net worth. You don't need to be super wealthy to have a net worth. It's your assets minus your liabilities. So 1% of your net worth you can afford to lose because this is an ultra risky investment. But 1% you also kind of can't afford to miss out on it if 1% becomes 100. I'm literally Googling what 1% of my net worth is. (laughs) How much do I need to put in this? I love it. So what advice can you share for founders who are in a position, as you mentioned, where They're not getting the liquidity they need out of their company. They're getting nervous, but they want to start diversifying out their risk. What advice would you have for them? 
I would say automate it. Uh, We do this for our bills. I think it's important to do it for our investments. Set it and forget it. I don't look at stock charts all day long. Index funds and chill, basically. S&P 500 index funds are what Warren Buffett, one of the greatest investors of our time, put in his will for his own wife to do. And tracking the market, it's really hard to beat the market. So setting up an investment plan where some of your end game, I break down a spending plan also into the three E's. As you know, I love alliteration. So essentials, end game, and extras. And so 70% of your overall spending plan should go to the essentials. So your food, your housing, your transportation, 15% should go to the extras. Always account for the extras. It is not realistic to not buy a latte, account for it. And then 15% to the end game. So your future self, don't look at this as a drag, reframe it so that you're actually investing in your badass old lady self. Yes. I love that. Okay. Let's wrap with some sentence finishers. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Okay. I'm most productive when... I have a bouncy blowout. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I mean, your hair looks incredible right now. Thank you. The basic formula for wealth is? Live below your means, not within your means and buy low, sell high. Yes. Love it. If I had 50K right now, I would invest it in? I would dollar cost average invest in the S&P 500. So an index fund or an ETF. I love it. What's an ETF just for anyone who might be listening? Exchange traded fund. Yeah. So that those just trade on the market and index funds are technically mutual funds, but you can get it in any brokerage. Just Amazing. open a brokerage. You're making nothing in a bank account. Please don't leave all of your money in a bank account. At least make 3%. Inflation typically grows at 3%. So if you're not making that, you're technically losing money because your purchasing power is going down. She is a genius. I hope you guys were all taking notes. Thank you so much, Nicole. Where can our listeners follow you and tune into your podcast, Money Rehab? Thanks, Jacqueline. Every single day. I can't believe it. I think we're on 300 at this point, but you probably have more. It's not a competition, but Money Rehab, (laughs) (laughs) wherever your podcasts are served. Oh my gosh. No, I mean, when did you launch your podcast? Last year. Okay, so I've been doing it since 2017. So I might have more, but that's only because- We're older. Um, So don't forget, Work Party's last episode of the Money Move series is next week. Tune in Friday for my conversation with Sherry Heyman, Executive Vice President of Digital Partnerships at MasterCard. We're breaking down everything you need to know about the blockchain and how untapped digital assets are poised for disruption. Plus, learn about effective digital strategies that can grow your business. It's an episode you will not want to miss. For more inspiring conversations like this one, follow the Work Party podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review us or show us some love on social. We love seeing you tune in every week and share your favorite episodes. We're at Work Party on Instagram and at It's a Work Party on Facebook and Twitter. I'm your host, Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party. 